Welcome into ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. Coming up on today's show, the bullpen just didn't get it done. And we keep getting sneak peeks into the Falcon schedule for 2023. But for starters, do they have something to prove week one? And last but not least, and for the culture, some sequels, you just need to just keep them in the closet. That's all coming up next right here on ATL Day Ones. Let's go. This is ATL Day Ones. Part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. I want to start off by saying thank you for making ATL Day Ones your first listen of the day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you download your podcast and wherever you download your podcast. Make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that from you in advance. It is ATL Day Ones, part of the Lock On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of ATL Day Ones is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. But T, when you think about last night, the Braves lose 5-2, to two, and a familiar face, uh, <laughs> Kenley Jansen, closes the door for the 400th time in his career. How about that? Um, he's out there breaking records and doing his thing. And I, I think that my overall takeaway from this game is the fact that even though Dylan Lee got off to a really good start, I just feel like just the bullpen, they just didn't get it done. Agreed. And it almost made you have Kenley Jansen envy because right. he had nine saves. <laughs> Especially <in> 10, right now. <laughs> nine saves in 10 chances this season already. And granted, Rysel Iglesias has only been back for three games. So want to pre- preface by saying that. But it was uncharacteristic for him to have gone, what, 45 and two-thirds innings without giving up a home run. And then last night it was a two-run home run that pretty yeah. much was, you know, the nail in the coffin. So that was tough to kind of watch. But on the same token, I think to your point, although A.J. Mentor only gave up a home run, I just kept thinking he has to get out of his head and he has to get out of his head really, really soon. Because if we're going to have to start splicing bullpen games together or if you're going to have to have the bullpen come out a little bit earlier than maybe you'd hope now that Max Reed and Kyle Wright are gone and maybe you're expecting your starters to give you six or seven, but maybe they only give you five innings. The bullpen's going to have to step up now. That takes nothing away from the disappointment and what Colin McHugh did as well with giving up two runs. But ultimately, I think of the three from the bullpen that let us down last night, I honestly, I think A.J. Minter was the one that was the most discouraging for me juxtaposed to Dylan Lee getting his first ever start in the majors and really getting it done in almost three innings, which Brian Snicker was talking about even last night. Like, hey, if we would gotten two innings out of him, that would have been great. But 23 strikes, 31 pitches, you strike out three and you only walk like one. I think the Braves will take that in a heartbeat. But again, I go back to A.J. Mentor, Jarvis. It's mental. And you know what? That yeah. really concerns me because it takes me back to that slow burn not bullpen necessarily, but that slow burn that ended up being a fall off the cliff for Ian Anderson. I hope it's not that. Oh, wow. But it makes me kind of, yeah. it makes me feel some type of way. Yeah, T, you might be on to something because, like, the velocity is there, and it just and it just seems like he just can't find his way. And I remember yes. he was talking after one performance where he actually ended up getting out of it and, and ended up getting the save, but it was a little shaky, and he's been shaky <laughs> ever since we've seen him. You're like, he may be able to get the job done, but he's been a little shaky. But he talked about how, yeah, and you know. I'm sorry, Jarvis, before you go on yeah. to co-sign mm-hmm. on that, and he's shaky back in his regular position. 
Because yeah, yeah when he was the in the closure spot, yeah, yeah. like, you know, okay, fine. You're not in your normal space, but now you're in familiar surroundings and you're still doing this. Yeah. Concerning. Yeah. Very concerning. And I, and I, and I was just sitting there watching it last night and I was just like, man, snit, take him out. And I was just like, wow, man, this dude has done some things for this, for this team and you should get the benefit of the doubt. But the way things have been going this year, you can't play around with that, especially in a bullpen game when you know you're going to exhaust your arms and you got an off day, so you don't have to necessarily really worry about you know um, blowing out your bullpen. So I think that you know Snit eventually made the, made the change um, to Nick Anderson, and, and and Nick Anderson came in and did his thing for a little bit for a little bit. But yeah. I, I just wholeheartedly feel like this is something that. They might need to address at this point. At, at some point, I'm sorry, not at, not at this point. At some point, I feel like they're going to address this bullpen more so than the, than the pitching staff. T, I mean, the, uh, the starting rotation, because I think that they'll be able to put piece some things together. Because we talked about that yesterday uh, with Max Fried and how he um, may miss uh, up to the All Star break and, and come to find out, Mark Bowman was the first to report that hey, he's going to be out for two months. So, you know. Is that the Braves got some stuff on their hand and that, that they need to handle, and I feel like Alex Anthopoulos is up to the task. Now, T, like the one thing that we've always talked about for the past couple of years, it seems like, is the fact that the Atlanta Hawks uh, were a disappointment, you know, <laughs> to be quite frank, and they didn't live up to expectations. Now, this there was an interesting article uh, by Barbie Marks that, that, was going, that, that, that he wrote about going into – this this past season, and he was talking about how the Hawks are going to have big decisions to make. The Hawks are going to, uh, you know, have to figure out whether or not they're going to have to go into the luxury tax or not. And the Hawks were a big disappointment. The Hawks got bounced out in the first round of the playoffs. Sound familiar? <laughs> you know, you know. And 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 to be honest with you, T, I'm sitting. I was sitting there reading the article, and I'm just like, this article applies this year. It applies right now. That article can be relevant right now. All I got to do is change a couple names around, but it could be relevant to this day. But my question to you is, how do you feel like the Hawks found themselves back in the same predicament that they were in last year? I think when you stand pat juxtaposed to what the Atlanta Falcons have done, the mm-hmm. minute they got the opportunity to get some freedom from being in cap hell, they they made moves. I don't exactly. care if it's not yeah. the splashiest of splash at every position where there was need, but moves were made. Same thing with the Braves. We know if Alex Anthopoulos looks at this thing for another week, the Braves go back on the road, right? And he's not yeah. seeing what he wants to see as they wrap up this interleague play. You already know. I mean, And as we always say, he's probably already on the phone, just kind of betting, if you will. That's the kind of thing that the Hawks just did not do enough of. Of course, after that quote unquote run to near darn near run to the NBA finals two years ago, they thought that, hey, we got the team. We got the squad. We're good to go. Stood too pat. And that bit him in the butt. Then last season, they said, "Okay, clearly that didn't work. Let us go out and do something. But Jarvis, let's just be honest. They really did the same thing. Because they essentially did some extensions like with, you know, Kevin Herter, with DeAndre Hunter. And so that was a situation where, okay, you really kind of stood pat because you basically said we're going to ride or die with these. Well, you almost died. So now you get into a situation where DeJounte Murray's the only splash that you made in free agency that was meaningful until, until, in my opinion, you got Sadiq Bey. Now, that was the other thing that you did. But that was, of course, after you changed GMs and had a a coaching shakeup, right? Right. That said, uh, I think that there has to be a learning lesson. 
Like you're watching yeah. these other teams do the types of things that you didn't do and it's paying them dividends. And when I say that, meaning the Sixers made a little move here and there, but it was just enough. The Celtics made a little move here and there, but it was just enough. Now think about teams that were stood pat. And again, I, I understand Chris Middleton was definitely injured in the first yeah. part of the season. Giannis went into that opening round injured and he was never really himself. So I get that's part of why they exited in the first round, if you will. However, truth is true. You didn't really make any changes. Sometimes Jarvis, you've got to look in the mirror and say, oh my goodness, this, this is not worth running back. They yeah. decided to make a coaching change at the end of the year. That was a shock to everybody and letting go of Mike Budenholzer. Hawks, you already did that. It didn't really work. When I say that Jarvis, meaning that, yeah, you got to the first round. And, yeah, you shockingly beat the Heat, who looked like they might be going to the Eastern Conference, if not the NBA Finals. But the bottom line is you still – an exit in the first round is an exit is an exit, Jarvis. And the only yeah. answer at this point, since you've already made changes in the front office and you've already made changes on the sidelines, is to make big changes on the court. You've got to do it. And you have got to say, okay, not only are we saying that we're okay going into luxury tax, darn it, we're actually just going to go into it and be okay. That's that's why I feel like there's a sense of urgency that's that's different from last year, right? Because, yeah. you know, when you think about Travis Slank was still at the helm, you know, going into this, coming into this season right now. And, you know, of course, he's going to think that, you know, he can stand pat and, and they're going to, everybody's going to develop and, and then elevate to, you know, be able to make it out of the first round. Um, uh, but unfortunately that did not work. And I think that now when you look at this team and you look at, who's the head coach right now at Quinn Snyder. I think there has to be some change in, in the core. You know what I mean? Not, not necessarily like wholesale changes, but the core has to change. Some guys that have been around for quite some time, they have to go. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's, gonna, that's the only way that you're going to get the guys that you want to stay to say, you know what? Hey, uh, things are changing around here, and there's a new sheriff in town, so we need, we need to do what we need to do in order for to make this thing work. And you know that Quinn Snyder – is he is head strong as far as making sure that he's going to do this job and get this team where they need to be. So I really feel like that sense of urgency is going to be there, um, given that, you know, Landry Fields is at the helm and, you know, got Nick Ressler doing whatever he's doing behind the scenes, <laughs> you know. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And we definitely understand that, hey, the change has to come. Yeah, and, they have no choice this time. Right. And the other thought that I had was this. We recognize that there are some challenges, if you will. It's not as easy as saying, let's just go out there and not be concerned about the luxury tax. And not. Mm -hmm. we understand. But yeah. there are a lot of players out there with very incentive laden contracts. So maybe that's something that the Hawks want to look at. Like, hey, we may our maybe our ability to compete for those top level or top seeded players, those who make those first all NBA teams or second or third teams, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you give them an incentive-laden contract so you can say to them, okay, yeah, I know what the Celtics have for you, Jalen Brown, depending on which NBA, all NBA team you make, but here's what we can put on the table for you as well. So that's another thing I'm looking for, Jarvis, is that creativity to lure or incent some of those players to say, yeah, I want to come to Atlanta. Yes, I have a big contract with my current team but I want to take a chance on Atlanta because I see what Quinn Snyder and company is trying to build there yeah it's all about establishing the culture and I think that Snyder has done some of that and, and I think it's enough to where like you might be able to convince and do what exactly what you just said so um coming up in about a minute or so 
We're going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons. We know exactly who they will play in the first game of the season, quarter to a report. But what do they have to prove now that they know that it's a division foe? We'll talk about that next. But first, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. That's built.com slash locked on. Yes, go check that website out right now. Because guess what? You know, T and I, we've been doing our thing. We've been working out. We've been getting right. We need that 17 grams of protein. We need to get it right, get in the gym, and get our lives together because it's summertime. She's trying to be a hot girl summer. I'm trying to walk around with my shirt off. You know, that's what we're doing, right? No? Okay, she's not trying to be a hot girl. I take that back. I'm already but, one. Thanks. Yes, yes, yes. There we go. Yes, she's already one. Come on, y'all look at T every day. All you everydayers, you guys, people, you never rock with us each and every day. Yeah, that's how we get down on the show. But yeah, I want you to built.com has something great for you, right? If you're not, if you're tired of going to the website and you want to go get some boxes in person, here's what you do: go to Walmart, you can get a four bar box, and you go to Sam Clubs, you can get a big boy box that's what i get because i need them to last i need to have my own personal stash when i go to the gym so if you guys you know are tired of going to build.com you know if you want to go continue to go but if you want to go in person and pick up some stuff and get those built bars go to walmart and the sam's club right now so happy happy 2023 nfl schedule release day Okay, really? It's almost like Christmas Day because you know how on Christmas Eve your parents might allow you to open one gift? So, yeah, like, all right. so the league okay. allowed us to open one gift yesterday, right, Jarvis? Yeah, just a little yeah. bit. Just one gift. Just That's one always gift. cool. Yeah. Exactly. So we opened the gift that told us that the Falcons would be in London taking on the Jaguars in week four of this upcoming season. Now it appears that we have two more gifts early Christmas morning, i.e. early NFL schedule schedule day, of course, uh, locally. And now I think there are multiple reports out there that the Falcons indeed will host the Panthers in week one of the season. And also now a report out of the athletic that the Falcons look like they're going to also host the Packers in week two. That's out of their Green Bay Bureau. So should be an interesting way to start the season. Kind of exciting to be able to start the season at home with two games in a row. So first of all, Jarvis, your take on the Falcons having the opportunity to start the season potentially with back-to-back home games. Yeah, this is cool, right? Because when when you think about like the pathway to the postseason, because that's yes. I think that's going to be the theme that's this the year: pathway yep. to the postseason. Like for as far as the to for the Falcons to be able to get there, it's going to have to be through the winning this division. And I think that, that being that the number one game on the schedule is going to be the Carolina Panthers, and you're don't necessarily know who the quarterback is going to be because we Scott right. Fitterer is kind of like, oh, yeah, going into the season, it's going to be anti- Andy Dalton. And then Frank Reich is like, oh, yeah, whenever he's ready, he's going to come in. I was like, all right, here yeah, we no. go. So so you that don't know who the – it may be Andy Dalton who the Falcons may be going up against. So I, I think that it's, it's good on two parts, right? It's a divisional opponent. You're going to be able to see where you are, you know, in the beginning of the season and also – you, you might be facing a rookie quarterback or a bad quarterback. So, like, the, those are some of the things that, you know, that you have to be at least kind of get excited for. Not saying that it's a guaranteed dub, but it, it, there are some factors in this game that, it, that the Falcons should be up, no doubt about it, especially opening up in, in Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, and I like the concept of it because we believe that the path to the postseason is likely for the Falcons going to be one where it's winning the division. The NFC 
overall is still chocked full of heavy hitters. I mean, you look at the NFC East and you could argue that each and every team coming out of the NFC East could potentially make the playoffs this season. So with that in mind, and only one of them being able to come out as the divisional champion might be an easier path for the Falcons to actually just win the NFC South. That said, you get your first test out of the gates with the Carolina Panthers. And you can call it a test because everything at this point in the NFC South is a toss-up, except except under center. I don't care what Frank Reich says. I don't care what the reports are coming out of Carolina. <laughs> you are not going to make me believe that you did everything under the sun but bring Jesus back yes. from cracking the sky yes. to get Bryce Young. And then David Tepper going to make that decision for them. Like, Just, I don't yeah. give a crap what they say. Yes, yeah, you're right. The only yes, way so to right. me that happens is literally if one of two things, if somehow, and God forbid it happens, but somehow Bryce Young gets injured somewhere mm. during the course of training camp or preseason game. And again, I say, God forbid, because nobody wants that to happen uh, to that guy. You want the best of the, the Panthers to show up with the best yeah. of the Falcons game one, yeah. right? Mm. But other than something like that, or, and of course, Malik Willis is a friend of the show. We rock with him. He's a local guy, but we saw or kind of seen the writing on the wall with the Titans. Unless yeah. it's a situation like that where you truly don't feel like your guy is ready, it's Bryce Young under center. Week one. That is my thought. I am actually more interested to see how maybe the new look offense for the Falcons, given Bijan Robinson, like how, what are we going to see from the Panthers defense and their ability to stop the run now that they we've got the Falcons have that guy in addition to Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson. That's what I'm interested in seeing. Also interested in seeing what their secondary is able to do. Like, Okay, J.C. Horn and company, are you guys going to be able to have as much of an impact? I put that in quotes, but as much of an impact as you had at times last season. Now mm -hmm. that Drake London is going into his second year and his second year working with Desmond Ritter, hopefully Kyle Pitts will be back and healthy. And and we know that Derek Brown wrecked the hell <laughs> out of Marcus Mariota last season. So yes, I'm did. really interested to see. What kind of work does the Ritter team put in? And now, yeah, exactly. So now we've got a Matthew Bergeron and we've got a better O line. So, will somebody be able to stop that dude from wrecking camp against uh, Desmond Ritter? And I think we'll be able to see kind of out of the gates how Desmond Ritter has evolved as well in his ability to read defenses and kind of evade them and buy himself some time to get to his weapons. So, yeah, I kind of like it out of the gates just to kind of see. Uh, and test the waters in in the division. I think that'll be a cool thing as well. Now, let me like add I said, one thing before you move before yes, you yes. move on to. You. I, I think, like I think that the big piece right there, the big question mark for, for the Falcons on the offense, like you mentioned, um, kind of touched on the Kyle Pitts. Like we don't know if he's going to be ready. Like I, if you say he, you tell me he limping yeah. around in the spring team, like that is not good. So I, I think that you know having a guy like John Lou Smith, yeah, that's cool. You know you you can work with that, but like no, like you need you need all your weapons. You need your guns. You you need every bullet that you actually can you know can gather up. You know to go to go out there and try to get a win in in, in a division against a divisional opponent. So. Yeah, I think that's going to be the big question for the Falcons on offense is whether or not Kyle Pitts is going to be ready to go week one, yes. regardless of who's that quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point, too, because, yeah, if you don't have him ready for week one or it appears that you may not have him ready for I'll call it quarter one, uh, because we were talking about that even yesterday, like our hope is that he will actually suit up for week one and he'll have breakout games 
And then when he gets back to a familiar place, London, where he got his first touchdown, maybe then you'll see him have that that crazy game. You hope that London is not his first game by any stretch. But if he doesn't come out week one, I agree with you. I'm interested to see since John o. Smith is kind of highly touted, like what are you going to be able to do? Because then that speaks to the depth of the weapons in that wide receiver and tight end room. Now, the other thing that came out that I thought was interesting, and I think it just kind of depends on what side of the fence you're kind of sitting on as to how much stock you put in strength of schedule with no one having touched the field. And especially in this division right. where there's been so much upheaval at every, for every single team, but the Falcons have been calculated as or tabulated as being the team with the easiest strength of schedule going into 2023. And I was thinking to myself, okay, like we just talked about, had the Panthers, they have what's going to be a new look Packers team uh, in week two. And so you think about like, okay, does this give them a decided advantage having the strength of schedule as it is and maybe having a couple of, like you said, not truly cupcake games. You don't want to call anything that in the NFL, but darn it, you can win these games. You can win these games. Yeah. Do, you know, how do you, what are, what are your thoughts on strength of schedule and whether or not the Falcons have an advantage to kind of get out of the gates quickly? Get out I don't buy it on. I look at it like this. I don't buy it on May 11th. It's May 11th. <laughs> like you can't. Don't talk to me about strength of schedule on May 11th. Like because we have surprise. There are surprise teams every year. That's how the NFL is constructed. See, they want everybody to be evenly uh, balanced as possibly. You know, they they want everybody to be able to competitive have be competitively balanced throughout the league because you know that's. At the end of the day, people want to make money. Like, the only way you can make mo yeah. money in this league is win games. Well, make more money. Let me say this. Like, you want to make money at an NFL owner, but making more money and getting to the upper echelon and being able to talk talk trash to your, to your compadres when y'all have NFL owners meetings and right. that you want a Super Bowl, like, yeah, like, it's built for that. So, I think that mm. on May 11th, I don't, I'm not buying um, strength yeah. of schedule, but – once the season, once the uh, summer gets here, once teams start getting on the field, get on the practice field and start playing in some preseason games, I feel yeah. like there's some things that you can draw and say, okay, hey, Jordan Love is out here, you know, doing his thing uh, in, in, in um, training camp. He's been looking really well. He's been looking good. Or he balled out in the first game. Okay. It might not be necessarily be a, a cupcake game for the Falcons in game mm -hmm. two. So all of those things, it, there are many factors that comes into play when you start talking about strength of schedule. And I think that – a lot of people put a little bit too much stock in the spring, you know, about, oh, well, they have a schedule. Should be all good. No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't work like that. I just find it interesting. That's almost like the conversations that you have when it's like, oh, this team is destined because of all the moves that they made in the draft or in the offseason to actually be able to make a run to the Super Bowl. Really? I mean, really? You know that. So yeah, to me, that that's kind of that same conjecture, if you will. But what is not conjecture, I think, is an article that I thought was interesting. So I shared that with you from ESPN Plus, and it was entitled "Key Intel on All 32 Teams." Of course, we were just looking at the key intel from the 2023 NFL Draft for the Falcons, yeah. and the quote from ESPN staff writer Jeremy Fowler was this: He said. Taking a running back at number eight overall isn't trendy, but some teams that he's spoken with think Bajan Robinson at number eight signified a boiling point. Here's the logic. Teams typically draft first rounders with the second contract in mind. Is the player in question a long-term solution at the position? But because longevity is a factor 
in the devaluing of running backs, taking the second mm -hmm. contract off the table and embracing the possibilities with an elite back can be freeing. So that said, do you think that maybe that solidifies that kind of mindset, if you will, or the rationale behind why the Falcons went Bajan at eight kind of signifies or solidifies it? Yeah, they're in one now mode. Oh, absolutely. That's you talking about a sense of urgency. We talked about leading up to the draft here about how the Falcons have been uber aggressive, being able to go out there and go get guys. Not and then we didn't necessarily agree with all of the guys that they brought in, but hey, it makes sense, right? You're trying to get your defense better, like you bring in better players, regardless of position, right? Regardless of whatever position they play, as long as they fit that mold of what the Falcons are looking for, then they bring them in and. And money is not necessarily a factor. And, and that's okay because they haven't been able to spend money like that. So I think the first offseason in which they had uh, real money to go out and go get real quality players that they want to have in here and they want to be have them around for quite a, a couple of years or so, I, I think that, you know, going into the draft, the B. John Robinson pick was the – the pick that made sense for what they were trying to do. And that they're trying to win games, T, because this is two back-to-back -back seasons of 7-10. and 10. That's not going to cut it. Like, they came in here to win, and that's what Terry Fonda and Arthur Smith were trying to do. And, and, and making that decision uh, to draft B. John Robinson absolutely confirms that. Yeah, and you can't be overly concerned about a second contract because now that you're going into year three, I mean, a second contract for Bijan Robinson is like four years away in the league. Seven years is nobody's guarantee. So you just got to move on and say, hey, we're looking to win now and move forward. And then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We're going to talk more yeah. about Bijan Robinson tomorrow. Got a couple other thoughts that came from a GM. And also, Jarvis and I will get our first sneak peek at Bajan Robinson this weekend. Can't wait to tell you guys about that as the Falcons kick off rookie minicamp. So exciting times out at Flowery Branch and exciting times for you guys as well, hopefully, because you'll give us your feedback. I mean, what do you guys think about the potential for the Falcons to kick off this season with a divisional foe in the Carolina Panthers? What do you guys think about the fact that, oh my, we are already here at rookie minicamp and we get our first sighting of not just Bashan Robinson, but the guy who is going to help the O-line in protecting him in Matthew Bergeron amongst the other rookies. So don't forget everydayers, tell us all your thoughts, drop them in the comments. If you're checking us out on YouTube, you can DM us. If you're checking us out on wherever you get your podcast and you want to share your thoughts, because you know what, here at ATL Day Ones, we always appreciate that you got something to say. But T, this is for the culture. It is the intersection between sports, entertainment, the culture, and sometimes whatever the hell we want to talk about. Because that's just how we get down on the show. Today is no different. T, when you think about movies that, you know, had come out and were really box office hits, big box office hits, like the movie like Beetlejuice. It was a super popular movie. It came out in 1988. And, you know, when I think look back on that movie, I was kind of a little scared of it a little bit, you know, especially when I, I saw it the first time. But, you know, I come to, you know, really like the movie. But it seems that, though, you know, we've had an issue with, you know, movie makers of today. Like, it seems like they're running out of ideas and they want to start doing all these sequels. So they decided that, you know, Beetlejuice is the next one that they're going to do. And the, the funny thing when I was reading about this, T, it was just like, yeah, the the sequel that everybody's been waiting for, and I'm sitting up here like, who's been waiting for? Who's been calling for a sequel to Beetlejuice? You know, so but you know, I, I look at it like they were at least to be able to get the original people, you know, main characters, and Michael yeah. Keaton and Ryan on the writer. They've agreed to do it, so 
Looks like it's, we're going to see this movie in September of 2024, T. It's very interesting. And yeah, I, first of all, I'm not a movie connoisseur, so have never yeah. even seen the movie. Whoa. Uh, okay. But I don't know why I get shocked, shocked every time. Like, <laughs> every time you say, yeah, you know I ain't seen that movie. Right. How long have you known me? It's so hard. It's just, it's just hard. It's hard to get used to that. Because, you know, no. some movies just like, all right, you've at least seen part of it. That ain't it. <laughs> no, that did not make the list. And still we ain't miss much. Yeah. with the sequel. And no, I will not go back and see the original so that I can get updated no, enough to know. I wouldn't even ask you to. About. Don't care at all. But yes. there are some sequels where I'll say, oh, wow, that's the sequel I didn't know I needed. Right. And mm-hmm. so I want to just say the sequel that I was excited about, because I have to think about a sequel I would be excited about. Okay. The sequel that I was excited about that I didn't kind of didn't know I needed, but kind of knew I needed was The Best Man that was set up as an age series kind of like an anthology like oh, to me so that ga- it really yeah. was because it oh, gave so you good. the opportunity to flesh out everybody's story, story everybody's nice, yes. backstory and close out so that there really weren't any stones left unturned i thought that to have a one and then to have a two that many people say was just as good as the one some people even like it a little bit better other than of course you know the departure of mia the transition of mia but other mm-hmm. than that most people I know say it's one of the few franchises where everything hit. Everything hit. The one was the, uh, amazing. Nothing we'd ever seen as far as that kind of African-American ensemble cast on a big screen. And yes. then you come back years later and you do it again. And to your point, like with Beetlejuice, you pull in all of the original players, right? And that's mm-hmm. amazing. And then you get all of them to come back for an eight. And, and Peacock did an amazing job an amazing yes, job of marketing that series and letting you know that it was must see. And people did excellent with not spoiling things throughout the course of the series. So for me, that was probably the one sequel where I was like, Ooh, didn't quite know we needed an eight series anthology type, but yeah, Jarvis, that, that hit well, that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think there, if I, I think about the movie that the sequel that I really, you know, wanted, it was definitely Friday. Like I had to see all of those and, and the, the really cool part was the just the the potential of Chris Tucker returning at some point. You know what I mean? Like I think I was even, there was even uh, some conversations about last Friday, but we don't know. And they were being Ice Cube was being very uh, vague about it. And of course, Chris Tucker wasn't going to really speak on it like that. Right. Um, so I, I think that from that standpoint, like that's when I get excited about it. like when there's a character that doesn't return in the sequel. Or, you know, or a trilogy, whatever, or what have you. And there's a possibility they may come back and they never really shoot down the possibility of doing it again. It's just all about how they bring them back. And those are some of the things that I really get excited about. But, yeah, as far as this Beetlejuice piece, though, uh, I don't know about that one. But what is the what is a movie that you feel like you uh, is there? Do you have a movie that you feel like that's sequel worthy that hasn't been made yet? Yeah. And and I want to shout out one more movie that was kind of a flip of something mm-hmm. and that's sex in the city that flipped a series oh, to a okay. movie to close out a lot of loose ends and i liked that movie a whole heck of a lot i didn't even watch that series in it in its entirety but i knew mm-hmm. enough i'd watched enough of it and knew enough about it to know that i felt like the movie was very consistent and very authentic to what you saw in the series over the years on hbo now as far as a movie that i wouldn't mind seeing which i think is probably kind of like I wouldn't mind seeing Love and Basketball. 
Like, mm. where is their daughter now? Is she playing ball in the WNBA? Oh, yeah, Does she have dope. a best friend who's playing ball in the yeah. NBA? Like, how's that work? Like, I wouldn't mind seeing the next generation of a love in basketball. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, maybe even though uh, they can get my uh, my girl uh, Angel Reese to play play the daughter, you know what I'm saying? You know, because you yeah. know she's taking advantage of all the opportunities all, that, she, right. that, that she can. You know, she while she's in college. Yeah, so yeah, I would not be surprised at all that, that they uh you know make that phone call because that they're actually. You know what? Like, I might need to take a, you know, take some ownership of that. Like, hey, man, I got this script. <laughs> it might just work out. For, and I've got the perfect person. <laughs> yes. But yeah, yeah I, I like that one. So cool. Yeah, that'd, that'd be so dope. Cool. What about be you? Weird. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know why. And I guess because, you know, Jamie Foxx has been on my mind lately because, you know, oh, yeah. dealing with the situation and they were saying how his family has been preparing for the worst. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing another any given Sunday. Because when you think about like all of the characters in that movie, if they were able to get all of those guys back in there, oh my gosh, that would be so, so dope. Because like a lot of people thought that was a bad movie. I didn't because it's a football movie. You got Al Pacino being overly dramatic. And then, of course, you got Jamie Foxx as the main character. And that that is from acting to singing, all that. That dude is just an uber talented guy. So yeah, I think any given Sunday, you know, a second time around, I would not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too mad at that. So you say I should go check it out for the first time around too? Is that yes. What? I oh, think okay. you would like it. I think okay. you would like it T. I've yes. never seen it, but okay. Don't, don't you dare be shocked. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do that to yourself. I understand. On I understand. that note. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to end it right there. <laughs> not being shocked. And we, we're not shocked that you guys have been rocking with us each and every day. We appreciate you. Those people are calling our everydayers and making ATL Day ones your first listen of the day every day. We appreciate you guys. And if you are an everyday, go and let us know. Give us a shout out. We, we, we shout people out. That, uh, drop that everyday comment in the comment box. It's right there. All you got to do is just comment right now. All y'all do. We appreciate you. And last but not least, before we get out of here, we do this each and every day. People, if you don't do anything else in life, make sure that you share love, show love, and most importantly, spread love.